We are here in Genesis 1, looking at the days of creation, 1 through the beginning of the sixth day. And we'll actually be in this passage, a bit of a longer passage than we normally cover, but in this passage, both, both this week and next week, looking at two different aspects of the, the creation story here in these six days. And it's helpful to note, Bryce has been uh, hinting at this all, all morning, that this, this morning we're talking about the order that God is giving the world. He's creating the world with order. There's, there's, I like that he uh, noted our liturgical art that did come from Advent, uh, and it'll be up one more week before we enter into the Lenten season. Uh, but there was a recognition that at the re- recreation, we were in the book of Revelation looking at the very end, in recreation, God will bring all order and perfection back. But we live in a time now where there is some brokenness and mess and twisting of the creation that God made. But we're looking now, it's hard for us to get our minds around the fact that we're looking at creation before the fall, before the twisting, before the mess, before the chaos, before the, uh, the, the problems that have been created because of the fall. We're going to get to the fall in a few weeks. We'll be here in these first four chapters of the Bible for uh, the next few months. And, uh, and yeah, I think there's something that we can learn and be encouraged about by the order that God created. And I recognize there's some people that just hear the word order and they get excited, right? Uh, the organized person. And there's some people that it, maybe that you, you chafe against. Uh, you just are happy to leave your clothes on the floor. And maybe, maybe some of you, you know, share a, a house or a room or, um, you know, uh, and there's some tension there, right? But I think what we're going to see, this is not an argument for being organized. That's not what's happening here. But there is, there is a need for some level of order just to exist in the world, right? That, that, that is, is required. And, and we find a beautiful picture of that here in Genesis chapter 1. And if you need a Bible, these, and you can look at the verses surrounding. The Bibles are spread out through the chairs. Those are there for you. If you need a Bible, take one with you. We're on page 1. So this should be fairly easy to find, page 1. As we look uh, here, I want to note before we get started, I just I want to acknowledge that when when a lot of people here, if you've been in the church for any period of time, you hear Genesis one and two, you think about creation. The, the things that pop into your head are creation days. The how do we think about science and religion and the, the mix of those two? How do we how do we think about these realities and all those kind of things? And that's not what we're talking about. And the reason that we're not talking about that specifically is because. We don't believe that that's the main point of this passage. But I do want to acknowledge that that's a conversation that does matter, uh, that it does have some, some weight. And uh, want to, I'm going to actually include a couple of resources in the email that will go out this next Wednesday. And uh, also would be happy to recommend any number of resources and would also be happy to talk to you. I, I, there, I want to say a couple of things uh, first, though. Uh, one is that as we think about how we understand creation and think about creation days and all of those things, the first question that we ask is, what is the scripture telling us? How, how is it written? And we, we talk about what, what is the genre? What is the, is it poetry or prose? Is it communicating history? Is it telling a story? What, what is happening uh, in this particular passage? And, and all scripture is different. And so we 
we, we're asking those kind of questions. Who wrote it? Who were they writing to? How would God use those things to communicate his truth? And just as a point of information, it might be helpful to know that in our particular denomination, if you're coming for ordination, there are four acceptable views on creation. And one of those is called calendar days. So we believe that uh, the, some, the person that would hold to this would hold to the days were 24, literal 24-hour days. And then there are actually three other views that would be day-age, framework, analogical days. If this is something you studied on, those are the acceptable views. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, feel free to ask me. I'd be happy to talk about it. I thought about trying to explain all those. I'm not going to do that. The point is there are multiple acceptable views, but all based on what does the Scripture teach us and a recognition that there is something deeper and more significant foundational to this passage. And so that's where we're going to be the next two weeks is uh, what, what do we see as foundational to this passage? And this morning talking about God bringing order to the chaos, creating an ordered world. Verse two, remind, remember that it describes uh, creation at that point as formless, without form and, and void. And God is bringing order to that formlessness and to that, uh, to that void. Let me, let me pray for us and we'll take a look. Lord, open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word that we might continue to marvel at you, the one who created all of existence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three points that I'm going to focus on this morning. Order flows through the whole, uh, the whole sermon and this whole passage. And, and yet I'm going to spend first point talking about the fact that God ordered the world. And that he did so as he ordered it communicating purpose. That's the second point. That he ordered things for a purpose, for a particular function. And that that then communicates a beauty. So order, purpose, beauty, uh, and Order being the thing that, that illuminates all of those. We, we have this explanation of God creating. And the very passage itself is ordered in a very particular way to communicate particular things. You might have already noticed the table that is in the worship guide. It, it is picturing this big order to these days, right? And you may not have thought about this. You may have seen this before. But the first three days are God forming the world. So the first one, he... He creates light and, dark, and darkness, light and darkness. He separates those two things. Not yet sun and moon, but light and darkness. And then he separates the expanse, the heavens from the earth. And then day three, he separates the water from the land. So he's forming the world. And then in day four, five, and six, he is filling those particular places. So day one was separating light and darkness. Day four is Sun and moon. Does it name them sun and moon? I think that's uh, significant as this was written to the Israelites coming out of the Exodus. And they were coming out of Egypt where they worshiped Ra, the sun god. And there's very clear communication that God alone himself and all of his power created it all. And so much so that not only did he create light before there was sun and moon, when he created sun and moon, he didn't even name them. They're just called the heavenly bodies, right? He, there's this demonstration that he is the one to marvel at. As we look at all, this is where we've been the last couple of weeks, right? We look at the, the vastness, the bigness, 
of all of creation, which we can't even fully comprehend if we go out into uh, the cosmos, if we go in down to atoms and protons and quarks, right? Uh, We talked about that a little bit. We, We can't even begin to comprehend how vast the creation is, and yet the picture is here, God did it all. And he did it all himself in his own power. So, was a little side uh, trail that I went down, but uh, God is filling the forms that he created with the heavenly beings, light and dark, that he separates the heavens from the earth, and then we find the birds of the air and the animals of the sea created on day, on day five, and then day six, the land animals, and we'll get to humans uh, in two weeks, because the Bible dives down more into the creation of those uh, created in God's image, you and me. And uh, so we'll spend more time there. But we, but we find here this communication of there being order to the way that God created. And I hope that you followed Bryce's suggestion to look for patterns and, and look for some of the repetition that happened in these days. There's something that is poetic about the way that this is written. We go back to reading scripture as it is given to us. Uh, Most theologians would describe Genesis 1 and 2, particularly Genesis 1 here, as what we call exalted prose. So it's not just prose, and it's not fully poetry, but it's poetic in the way that it communicates about what God is doing here. And it's, it's, it's beautiful that he would order in this way. He's careful and artful to explain the way in which he created the world, in which he Began time. We talked about that in verse one in the beginning. So time begins. But then we see it even playing out with the sun and the moon, days and nights. There was evening and there was morning. The first day there there is this this creation of history happening here, an ordered history to the world in which we exist. And this is where we're invited to marvel at a God that is able to create these, these things that we take for granted. We cannot live outside of time, so we take for granted that time exists, that there is a past, there is a history, there there is the present that we're living, and that there is a future that we're headed into, and we we can't separate ourselves from that, and and yet we find here that God created that, and we take for granted that we just live on an earth that is here for us to walk on, and a sea that we can get in a ship and sail, that we can fly into the sky. We have a pilot walking in now that flies through the sky for work, yes, reminding us of the, the different areas, right? Um, that this is the world in which we live and often take for granted, but we're invited to marvel at the one who created this place in which we exist. And I, I think about uh, Libby and I watch Lego Masters, and uh, I love Legos. I love putting Legos together. And I am always marveling at what these folks can create out of a bin of what feels like random Legos, and they create these amazing creations. I love the instructions, right? Uh, And uh, the instructions help me take a chaotic bag of bricks, plastic bricks, and make something uh, fun out of it. Actually, in my office upstairs, I have uh, a car, a Lego car that I made. It's really really fun uh, to to do that and put that together. But I, I like that it it gives me some directions and it gives me the bricks to start with. Years ago, I had a a Batmobile that was about this big that I made, took it apart, and I was like, I'm going to put it back together at some point. And then it got mixed into all these other bricks. And the chaos is, in fact, so great that I have never decided to do the work 
of finding each of the right pieces to bring it together. It's too much. I, I don't want to take that chaos in order to make the Batmobile again, right? Uh, and, and so it makes me marvel even more at the Lego masters taking something just in their head and creating, right? And those are all really small in comparison. What we have here is the picture of God taking the chaos, the, the, the world without form and void and creating very existence. We're invited to marvel at him ordering it in a way that is good and beautiful. And all of this happens before the fall. This happens and God says it's good. The world in which we live is good. Yes, there are ways in which it has been twisted. There are ways in which it has been marred. But there's still this underlying goodness in the physical material world that God has created and given to us. And he's reminding us it's his. It's his world, and he has given it to us. So we're invited to see that world where he orders it, separates light, gives us time. And not only just the day, evening and morning, that's noted each and every day, but we we see with the creation of, of the planets, we find that there are days and seasons and years History itself is created here. We see that there are the places we exist, the sea and the land and the sky, that there are distinct animals for those particular places, that there is flora and fauna given to us. And we will see a few verses later that it's a part of the food chain in which we are allowed to live and exist and gives us life. And all of this comes from a God who we know is revealing himself to us here. And he's revealing truth about the world in which we live. And so he's revealing truth about us, even as we are not yet to the creation of us yet. We see that he is explaining the very existence and ordering of creation so that we might continue to marvel at this creator who has done this for us. And that he has done this for us by doing this in a way that brings purpose and function to the world. It's not just, we, we, we regularly feel the, that we're random, that life is random, and where do we fit within it? And this is a reminder that it's not random, that he did create with this order for a particular purpose. Yes, this is before the fall, and, and that is actually something to revel in and celebrate, that there's a goodness underlying this broken world. Even... Considering the the brokenness, there is a beauty and a goodness to this material world which God has given us. That it's not random, that it has absolute purpose. And we, we see that even with him forming the world, he forms the world in order to, he's already then, before he's finished with creation, headed to the purpose of filling it. Forms it day one through three, fills it day four, five, four, five and six. I can do the math. Uh, he He is moving toward particular purposes. And he's inviting us into those purposes. This is a a continual theme that we see throughout creation is he is inviting us to discover the meaning that he has given the world. He is not inviting us to create meaning ourselves. He's inviting us to discover the meaning that he has created. He has given us this ordered world and we are to learn from it. And I noted last week that our our tendency in our culture is to say, no, no, we're we're supposed to find and determine meaning for ourselves. 
that, that, that's the call upon our, our kids these days is that you have to figure out who you are. You have to define who you are for yourself, separate from other people and their influence, except maybe, you know, mine, whoever's saying it, right? This is like, we're all influenced. We're all, we're all uh, challenged and pushed and shaped by those around us. But what we're encouraged to hear is to, to discover the meaning of God's created world, both for us uh, and for one another and for walking in this world. Uh, some of you are familiar with philosophies or just thoughts of life, modernism, postmodernism. Postmodern, we're a little bit beyond postmodernism, but postmodernism is, uh, there's, I'm not going to try to, I don't know that I can explain the whole thing. And part of that is because there's uh, some reality to postmodernism says there's no objective reality. And uh, there's postmodern literature and there's postmodern philosophy and there's, there's actually there's postmodern uh, architecture. So there, there's a story told uh, by an apologist that he's walking through a, a postmodern building and the person is describing how it was designed. You know, we have this stairway to nowhere and we have this, this column that doesn't support anything. There was no, no plan here uh, because this is the way that put, this is like communicates postmodernism. And the question was, was that true for the foundation? You, you can't build a building without a foundation. And it function, right? There's a recognition that even as you're trying to communicate, oh, there's no purpose and no, no story, that you have to have a foundation or the building falls apart. So God is giving us this foundation of the way in which the world was created, and he's inviting us into it to understand it, and he's inviting us into our place, which is, we'll get to this as we see the creation of man, this, this privileged place in God's beautiful creation. It is still as creatures, it is still as those who are humbled before the creator in whom we marvel, but we are invited into his creation to understand and learn his meaning and his purposes and his order. Psalm 8, which is part of Psalm 8, is, is part of our current, you know, we use the same uh, confession and assurance of pardon for uh, a number of weeks. And right now, the assurance of pardon comes from Psalm 8. And I'm going to read a little bit of Psalm 8, verses 3 through 9. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, this picture of God's creation. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? This, if we marvel at the bigness of God's creation, we, puts us in perspective a bit. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There's this recognition here that he is the one who created it and that we have this privileged place. One of the theologians says that man is set within an order which he did not make, joyfully accepting his privileged place in it. It's not our tendency, though. Our tendency is to want to be God, to want to be in control, to want to define meaning, to want to define what is worthy and right and has value. And yet what we find here is a God who has defined meaning and purpose in this world and inviting us into that. And it often requires 
wisdom to know, well, how does this apply to this world? How does it apply to my life? And how does it apply to my relationships and my giving and to gender and to sex and to uh, church and to my job and all of those things? But the implication is that it does matter for those things, for everything, in fact, because he created it all. It is also giving us this, this picture that the material world, the physical world, matters. He's creating, the, this is all a description of the physical world. There's no space for Gnosticism in Scripture. Gnosticism that breaks the sacred from the secular or the spiritual from the physical. And, and this is seeped into many churches, right? We're just strictly spiritual beings and, and the physical is something to be avoided or afraid of. No, this is a valuing the created order, the physical world in which we live, implications of ways in which we steward the creation that God has given us. What does it look like for us to discover God's purposes? What does it look like for us to, to be a part of it, to serve him and the meaning that he's given this world and given us? The, the encouraging thing is that it's it's not just sometimes we think of God as he created the world this is what it looks like this is what you do and he's the the big mean God in the sky telling us the boundaries that we have and uh, and we better get it right and yet we already begin to see here in creation that there's so much more to it than that because we see that his order is communicating beauty already mentioned that this is written carefully and artfully. There's, there is a beauty created. I hope that as you were listening to Abby read this longer passage, that you were seeing some of the beauty and the mystery and the majesty of what is being communicated here. God is communicating his own character as he creates this beautiful world, as he created this beautiful world. One of the best passages on creation outside of Genesis one of my favorite, at least, and one that spends a good bit of time on it is Job. And uh, Job has uh, experienced just suffering beyond what we can imagine, right? Uh, and he was trusting God, trusting God. And finally, he, he is complaining. And, uh, and he complains to God and God responds. And this is what God says. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. I mean, chapter 38 through 42 have this beautiful picture of creation, actually, as God speaks and answers Job. But Uh, Here is some of what he says in chapter 38, verses 4 through 7. He's challenging Job. He's reminding him that he has that privileged place in creation, but he's not the one who created. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So he's giving a challenge here, but he's reminding him that there's something to rejoice over in this creation, in this him laying the foundation of all of existence. He's saying that the heavenly being shouted for joy. They shouted for joy because God is a good God who is creating a beautiful world. And we see it here as he gives this amazing variety. I mean, he separates, he starts by giving variety, separates light from dark. We take that for granted, but maybe the world just exists with just light or just dark. The heavens uh, and the earth, the the sky and the sea, 
They're separate. I just combined them together. No, he separated them. The land from the sea and from the sky. There's all these different places in which we exist. That's, that's, a, that's how he chose to do it. He gave, even that is a variety that doesn't necessarily need to exist, but it does. And then he gives this vegetation that multiple kinds of vegetation, the different fruit trees, according to their kind. This is used both to describe the flora and the fauna, the vegetation and the animals, according to their kind, verse 11 and 12 and 21 and 24 and 25. He gives us this variety, this beautiful variety. He could have just given us a soyant, which is like a food replacement. It's one of many food replacements. What if that were just our only food, right? Like he could have given us one thing, but he gives us so much more. He could have given us, I mean, flat is not my favorite topography, where we live. I love Indianapolis. I love Indiana. But I'm thankful that I can visit other places, even if just going down to Brown County and seeing hills, right? But Rockies, the sea, the the hills and mountains of North Carolina being different and beautiful in a different way from the rock. He he gives this, this variety. He doesn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. And yet that's this, this picture is that he, he, he did. And that's loving and caring for us. It's, communicating his beauty, his character. It's revealing the creator himself. This is a deep structure with splendid diversity, splendid diversity that we are offered. And and this is pointing to the new creation. So before we started this series, we were at the end in Revelation 21 and 22. And we see this picture there of the variety that will exist in the new creation that includes doxologies from a humanity diversified by tribes and tongues and peoples and nations, there is constantly this picture of the beauty of the diversity that God has given us. We're invited into that to experience that beauty in amazing ways. And there's so many, I already mentioned the food, right? But like, think of a favorite meal that you've experienced in your life. And the the reality that food just didn't have to be that good, right? Now, yes, food has its, there's ways in which it's been twisted and, uh, and which it is struggle at different times and in different ways, but there's also really beautiful ways in which we experience it. The variety that we're able to experience, the joy that we have, the celebration, and he's built it into celebration meals and the picture of the wedding feast of the lamb to come, right? There are all kinds of ways in which it communicates God's beauty for us. And he finds it so beautiful that he cares to redeem it. And the promise from Romans 8 is that he's going to redeem all of creation. It's not just my spirit or your spirit or our spirits. He's redeeming all of creation. And the way that he has stepped in to, to do that is his world was good and beautiful in such a way that he became a part of it himself. When Jesus became a man, when he entered into this world by being born of a woman, he entered into the physical world in which we live and exist for you and for me, into all of the mess of it, into all the ways it's been twisted and turned away from its original purposes. He entered into that in order to redeem it, to fix it, both for all of creation, but for you and for me. 
that we might be drawn into him. And so as we gather around the table, and we talk about this with some regularity, as we gather around the table each week and in a moment, we'll eat the bread, drink the wine, we will touch and taste, we'll be a part of this physical world, reminded that he was, we're reminded that it represents his body and blood, that he was a part of this creation, this world, and in all of its materiality. And he cares enough about it to enter into it himself. It's beautiful and he values it and we're a part of it and he enters into it for you and for me, for our salvation. And so we engage it in relation. It's all about relationship with him. All of the order that he's given is created in order to to have relationship with his creation, with his people in particular. And we see that Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden with him before the fall, right? But we see that even after the fall, he begins to set up ways that we might be in relationship with him. Even the order of the sacrificial system that is really foreign to us, but if we spend time with it, it's an invitation to relationship with him. It, all of it is through knowing him and walking with him. And the way that we understand this world in which we live is by subjecting ourselves to him, the creator, and finding the beauty that he would have for us. Uh, theologians Bartholomew and Ashford uh, have the doctrine of creation. It's a tome about creation. and uh, They say this about uh, the creation of order. The origin of this order is in the personal will of God. He's the one who ordered it. And it is only in relationship with him that we can begin to know the order aright. A quote from the Psalms, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. From this perspective, the starting point is all important and deviation from this point distorts the entire project of order. That for us to understand the order of this world, we have to understand the one who ordered it, the creator himself and the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the creation that he gave us is he did so in order that we might do just that, that we might know him. And the creation, and knowing the creation and having the creation revealed to us here is his inviting us in to that relationship, to understand him and know him, and as a result, his creation better. And that is a gift for us that we do not deserve because the reality is we're a part of the twisting and marring of creation, and yet he invites us in. He invites us into the beauty of it and the order of it, and he invites us in to forgiveness of our own mess that, that caused the brokenness both in us and around us because he wants us to experience him, the creator, and his creation aright because one day that this world in which we live will be recreated and it will be not just good, it will be amazing. There's a sense in which I'm not going to go all the way down this road, but it will be even better than that good creation. And that's what we're invited into. Let's pray.